Well, I want to welcome you here this morning. Uh, my name is Ryan. I'm the lead pastor at this church. If you're new, if you're a first-time guest, and some of your friends brought you this morning, I just want to let you know that we're glad you're here. I'm glad that you chose to come to church this morning. And I think that when you just go to church on Sunday, you're already well on your way to winning at life. So you're doing a great job. Congratulate yourself. Give yourself a pat on the back. You made a good choice. We've been in the middle of this series called The Elephant in the Room, and we're talking about some of the more awkward topics that we deal with in society. We've talked about racism. We've talked about submission to authority. We've talked about divorce. And today we're continuing this series talking about, let's be honest, awkward topics. Today I'm going to talk to you about money problems. Money problems. And you just got to know, if you're new to this church, if this is your first Sunday, this is a very passionate church. And people are responsive. And so you're going to hear people around you saying amen or saying yes or I agree or that's good or preach it white boy or whatever it might be. And that's just something you got to learn to roll with, okay? So we're, we're, we're passionate, and even when it gets awkward, we respond, but we're responding to the truth from God's word um, because we know that it's true and it applies to our lives. So we're talking about money problems. Is that okay? There are 500 verses in the Bible about prayer, and there are a little less than 500 verses in the Bible about faith, and then there are 2,000 verses in the Bible about money. And so as my father-in-law, Pastor Paul Lavino says, if someone says to you, your church talks too much about money, you should tell them, thank you, and take it as a compliment, because that means you go to a Bible-teaching, Bible-believing church, amen? So praise God. We love what God has to say in his word, even the more awkward parts. Statistically, about half the people in the room would say, I have money problems, Okay, maybe it's not you, but probably your neighbor, all right? And for most people, their money problems, they would say, are, I don't have enough. <laughs> and that's what most people would say. My money problems, are, I need more. I need more money. I don't have enough. And I would say the truth is that more money won't solve your money problems. Here's some examples. I wanted to find some people, maybe you've heard of some of these guys who were very, very wealthy, earned a lot of money, but still went bankrupt. Some athletes like Johnny Unitas, Lawrence Taylor, Warren Sapp, Danny White, Bernie Kosar, Tony Gwynn, Lenny Dykstra, or in the NBA, you got some guys who made over $100 million, like Allen Iverson, Antoine Walker, Latrell Sprewell, or this guy maybe you heard of named Mike Tyson, earned over $400 million in his career, bankrupt. Then there's some celebrities maybe you've heard of. Nicolas Cage, 50 Cent, Nelly, Willie Nelson, MC Hammer, Burt Reynolds, every generation we're covering this morning. Wayne Newton even, right? These are guys who made millions of dollars and then went bankrupt. And I brought that out because I wanted you to know that most financial problems are not caused by a lack of money, but by a lack of wisdom. Getting more money will not help your finances unless you find wisdom. For someone who lacks wisdom, more money is like putting a Band-Aid on a mortal wound. 
It'll only help for a second, but it won't fix the true problem. God, he wants to help us with our finances, and a lot of us, we've, helped, we've asked him to. Uh, that's a common thing, to pray for God to help make ends meet. God wants to help you with your finances, but he wants to do it by treating the sickness, not the symptom. So what he wants to do is not just fix a temporary problem in your life. He wants to give you wisdom. God offers you wisdom. There's this guy named Solomon. He was one of the sons of David and the, one of the kings of Israel, he wrote the book of Proverbs in your Bible, which contains wisdom. And Solomon, God told him, you could ask for anything you want, and he asked for wisdom. And because he had wisdom, the Bible tells us he also became the richest man who has ever lived. And he wrote Proverbs for us to be able to, to gain wisdom from what God showed him. The Bible contains so much wisdom and practical advice for all areas of your life. If you'll just look at what the Bible says and apply it to your life. Listen, if you'll seek wisdom, you'll find success. So I want to start out by reading from Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. It says, my child, so it's addressing all of us, listen to what I say and treasure my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search for them as you would for silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord. I want you to notice that. To fear the Lord and you will gain knowledge of God. For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. He is a shield to those who walk with integrity. He guards the paths of the just and protects those who are faithful to him. Then you will understand what is right, just, and fair, and you will find the right way to go. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will fill you with joy. Wise choices will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. Doesn't that sound good to us? I mean, you read that, and if you've got a lick of sense, you're thinking, man, give it to me. I want wisdom. I want knowledge. I want to understand what God says. Most people in society chase money, but the Bible says to chase wisdom. Chase it like it's treasure. Chase it like it's, it's precious silver or jewels. If I told you that there was treasure buried in your backyard, you would stop at Home Depot on the way home and get yourself a shovel. You'd be out there digging in the 120 degree heat. There's treasure back here. I got to, well, there's treasure in the Bible and we're told go after it. Seek it like hidden treasure. We don't need to waste time and money making foolish financial choices. We can have wisdom. Now, how many of you would say, look, I don't need to be rich. I just want to be financially healthy. Anybody? Some of you are like, I want to be rich. <laughs> so respect. Okay, I respect that. It's, it's good to have the goal to be even wealthy. It's okay to have the goal to be financially healthy, but you need a plan. What's your plan? A goal without a plan is just a wish. So we need a plan to be financially healthy. And here's the strategy. We're going to read and apply the word of God, discern wisdom, and find God's path to prosperous living. How does that sound? Is that okay? So here we go. I want to start out right here. The foundation of financial wisdom is this. Everything belongs to God. 
This is the first thing you have to understand before you can learn anything else. Um, I know this is a difficult concept for some of you, especially if you're an only child, okay? But truly, everything belongs to God. It's not mine. Nothing is actually mine. This is the foundation for financial wisdom. I've got to understand that it's all God's. Everything belongs to God. This is the foundation for learning how to manage your life and your money the right way. Everything is God's. You hear me? Let me read this to you. There's just one of dozens of verses that say this. Psalm 24, verse 1. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Ryan, what does that word everything mean? It means everything. That's my scholarly skills coming to help you this morning. The world and all its people belong to him. But think about how we tend to talk about money. We use the possessive pronoun most often, mine and my, right? It's my money. What is Pastor Ryan doing this morning talking about my money? What does he want me to do with my money? Some of you are already feeling defensive and you're struggling. That's okay. That means this message is for you. It, it's not my money. That's the first thing I have to understand. It's all God's, okay? That's the first thing. So here's kind of an interesting little technical point of order, because I don't want to be legalistic about language, but, but hear me. Technically speaking, nobody gives God anything. You hear what I'm saying? If it's already all God's, I don't actually give him anything. I don't actually give him my life or my time or my money. I submit my life to him. I dedicate my time to him. I return his money to him. And it actually says this in scripture. Look, in Job 41, verse 11, I think this is epic. This is God speaking to us and essentially laying the smack down. He says, who has given me anything that I need to pay back? Everything under heaven is mine. So you don't have any IOUs from God, right? It's all his. He doesn't owe me anything. Like, for example, if I borrowed your lawnmower to cut my, well, this is Arizona, right? So you don't have a lawnmower probably. If I borrowed your rake for my rocks, you know, no, let's just say I borrowed your lawnmower. Let's say you're one of the few people. And then, you know, I said to you like, hey, I got you a present, your lawnmower. You'd be like, you didn't give me a pre that's my lawnmower. You can't give me my lawnmower. You're bringing back my lawnmower. You're returning my lawn. If I don't bring it back, you're probably going to come and take it back. Right? But I'm not giving it to you because it's already yours. So just technically speaking, we don't actually give God our money. We return our money to him. And then out of being obedient and returning our money to him when he asks us to, he, he blesses us and he teaches us to become more generous. So we want to understand this principle first and foremost. It's not his money and my money. It's all his. He owns it all. And so we have to start thinking of ourselves like not owners, but managers. Managers, that's the modern version of the, the word steward, yeah. So we're, we're managing what belongs to God. He's the owner, and we're going to give an account to him for how we manage his possessions. But a lot of Christians will struggle with this concept, so that's why I addressed it first. Many Christians, they struggle with money problems, not because of poor planning or bad investment decisions, but because they struggle to submit their whole lives to God. It's really connected to that. 
So, you know, when we first start coming to church, maybe you're like, okay, I want to be a Christian. And maybe when you, when you decide, I want to be a Christian, I want to follow God, you know, maybe you started out by saying, God, take my Sunday, but not my money, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, like, and so we, we can kind of wrestle with this, and it takes time sometimes to grow in understanding and maturity and wisdom and understand actually God wants it all. We used to sing this song in church when I was growing up. I love this song. I still think about it sometimes. And it would go, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. But then we don't sing that song as much anymore. And it's probably a good thing in some ways. Because like half the church will be lying when they sing it, you know. <laughs> like I'm just being real, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Because a lot of people, they'd be like, I surrender all, but not my money. I surrender all, but keep your hands off my money. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender some. Yeah. Oh, but they still want God's help. You know what I'm saying? And help me, Lord, to pay my bills. But don't mess with my budget, God. Grant me, Lord, all my wishes, but don't come at me with your intentions. <laughs> Teach me, pastor, how to thrive, but don't start talking about no tithe. I surrender almost all. <laughs> <laughs> That's the version I think we should sing sometimes, you know, just keeping it real. But really, God says, I want it all. I want you to give me your whole life. And if you're a Christian and you've told yourself that faith has nothing to do with your finances, you've deceived yourself. You got to understand, it goes back to our understanding of this concept of salvation. And we teach accurately that salvation comes by faith through grace. The problem is as modern day North American English speakers, we sometimes misunderstand the original meaning of the word faith. It comes from the Greek word pistis. And it doesn't just mean that you believe. It doesn't just mean that you believe that Jesus died on the cross, that you believe he raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because, listen, even the demons believe that he died on the cross and rose again. So when the Bible says faith, when the Greek word faith appears from the word pistis, the meaning is not just intellectual acknowledgement, but it's a pledge of loyalty. It's embodied fidelity. It's not just faith, but it's faithfulness. One scholar said that we would be better off sometimes in America if instead of saying that we're saved by faith, it would help people understand maybe a little bit more accurately to say we're saved by allegiance to Jesus, saying, I pledge you my allegiance, Lord. Not that you're going to be perfect, because none of us are perfect. Let's just get that out of the way. We all mess up. We all make mistakes. There's always going to be that day where you come up short, and you don't fully live in faithfulness to God. But thank God we're saved by grace. But in our heart, the desire is to give him our full loyalty. So that, that is important to understand, because once you become a Christian, now you're saying, God, I pledge to you my allegiance, and everything I am is yours 
everything I have is yours. So that's the foundation of wisdom. Now that we've got that established, I want to give you some of the, the precious jewels of financial wisdom. Here's the first one. Put God first. Put God first. Some people would say, man, I need to get my finances in order. And I would say, you're exactly right. You need to get your finances in the proper order. And the proper order is to put God first. That's where you got to start. In Matthew 6, Jesus is speaking and he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So what does it mean to seek first the kingdom? That means that as a Christian who's trying to learn and figure out more about God's ways, I want to learn kingdom principles and apply those to my life instead of following my old worldly patterns of living. Okay, the way I used to live before I came to know God was, well, first I thought about myself and took care of my own desires. But now that I'm a Christian, the first thing I do with my life, with my finances, is I want to put God first. And you've got to understand that there is a proper order to everything. And with your finances, it applies that God needs to come first. But it applies to everything. You've got to build in the right order. Isn't that true? If you're going to build yourself a house, you don't want to start with the roof. You want to start with the foundation. Amen? That's you're going to have a, a problem. It's fun to go out of order. It's fun to skip the proper order. It's exciting sometimes, but it can cause problems. You know, if you, if you skip middle school and go straight to high school, it could be exciting and you feel cool, but you're going to have some unnecessary learning challenges. Or, for example, you go out of order, you start having sex before you get married. It can be exciting, but you're going to have some unnecessary drama with your baby mama. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> And with your, with your finances, you want to start by establishing the proper order, putting God first. Now, here's a life hack for all you, okay? I want to give you this, this shortcut and tip. Put God first in any area of your life that you want him to bless. Anywhere you put him first, it will be blessed. So you put him first in your marriage, and your marriage will be blessed. That means, first and foremost, um, ladies, find a man if you're single, okay? If you're, if you're married, um, you've already got one. But if you're single, find a man who loved Jesus before he said he loved you, right? And then if you're a single guy, find a woman who loves Jesus more than she loves you. Because if she loves you more than Jesus, you are going to be crushed under the weight of her expectations, right? You put Jesus Christ first in your marriage, the closer you grow to him, the better your marriage gets, and you're going to be blessed, right? Put God first in your time. Dedicate, him to, dedicate your time to him when you wake up in the morning and just think about him. Maybe read some of his word. And, and look, when you put him first in your time, all the other things you do in your day, you'll get more effective and you'll get more efficient and you'll get more done because he blesses whatever you put him first in. So then if you want to be blessed financially, put God first in your finances. What we see in scripture, it says in Proverbs 3, 9, honor God with everything you own, like we talked about, give him the first and the best. And it says, your barns will burst, your wine vats will brim over. In other words, an old school talk is saying, you'll be blessed. God will give you plenty. You'll have plenty uh, and you'll have everything you need. But he wants the first and he wants the best. It's like last week, me and my wife got pizza for dinner. And I'm convinced that pizza is one of the physical evidences of God's love for us. Yeah. I ain't getting no gluten-free crust, but don't get me started on that. 
So this particular pizza was circular and cut in square pieces, and we both like the outer crust pieces. You know what I'm talking about? So while she was in the other room, I got to work on this pizza. And I started getting myself, I'm like, crust piece, crust piece, outside, outside. And I hear her from the other room, hey, don't take all the good pieces. Leave some for me. And it's kind of similar with our finances. God is saying, I want the first portion. I want the best portion. And we give it to him because we're saying this symbolizes that everything I have is yours. So what's the first portion? Well, first, I just think about back in the day when I was in college, I did this internship business thing in the summer, um, working for this company called College Works Painting, aka College Slaves. And in this company, you got to kind of run your own business and hire workers and paint houses, and, and you learned about business that way. It was good. It was good, um, pretty much. And then um, what I found out is when you get a job, the first 40% of what you get goes to the company to cover their overhead. Okay? And then you take the remainder, and you pay for your workers, and you buy your supplies, and then you get to keep what's left as profit. So like 15 20%, right? And I was like, man, this is... This is tough. So then you got to ask, okay, well, God says, I want the first portion and the best portion. And unlike those greedy dudes at College Works Painting, God doesn't ask for 40%. He says, I want the first 10%. That's why we use the word tithe in church. If you're not a church person, you're like, what's a tithe? One person said, I thought they were saying tide, like the ocean tides. Like we're bringing our tithes to God. No, no, no. It's the word tithe, like a tenth. And that's what it means. It means 10%. God says, I want to tithe, and you hold on to the other 90%. And that's the way it's always been, and that's the way God has always rolled. If you know much about the Bible, well, then you know that there was a certain point where God established the law, and then there was a certain point where God established a new covenant of grace. And we're now living under the new covenant of grace, which means we're not saved by observance to the law. We're saved because Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law. So, whew, pressure's off. Um, he already did the hard work. But what's so cool, you read scripture, is that tithing started before the law. It continued in the law, and it existed after the law. And actually, in the new covenant of grace, the pattern is God's spirit inside of us now enables us to go even above and beyond the standards of the law which is very interesting. Now, this pattern of tithing, it's a principle, so it's enduring, and it will bless you to understand it and apply it to your life today. Let me just show you something cool. It says in Numbers 22, or 25 um, through 29 here, chapter 18, God spoke to Moses, speak to the Levites. The Levites were the guys that worked at the, the temple or the old school church. And he said, tell them when you get the tithe from the people of Israel, the inheritance that I have assigned to you, you must tithe that tithe and present it as an offering to God. Your offerings will be treated the same as other people's gifts of grain from the threshing floor or wine from the wine vat. That, uh, this is your procedure for making offerings to God from all the tithes you get from the people of Israel. Give God's portion from these tithes to Aaron, who was the, the lead priest. Make sure that God's portion is the best and holiest of everything you get. So here's how this worked. Back in that day, they didn't always, you know, have um, money or currency the way that we do. But what they did always have is they would bring their, from their flocks and from their crops, and that, they would bring that to the temple, and they'd bring the first 10% of the harvest or the first uh, of, of, of a flock that was born to the temple, and they would give it to God as an act of worship. And that was their, their tithe. The first 10% went to God. And God said, bring me the best portion and the first portion. So you weren't allowed to bring God like the defective 
distinctive sheep. You know, you had to bring him like your nicest little sheep. And then, and then God says to the Levites, who were the priests, um, they were supposed to live off part of that tithe. And that was how they survived. They didn't own land. They survived off the tithe. God said, now you guys who live off the tithe, you also have to tithe off the tithe. I think that's just really interesting that God was saying, you're not exempt from this. It's not do as I say, not as I do. It's everybody does this. You receive it, and then you tithe the best portion of their tithe to God. I just think that's awesome as a pastor. I kind of relate to that because it's like God speaking to me or anyone who might work at a church, and he's saying, like, you might get a salary from the church, but, like, you tithe off that tithe portion, right? Like, this is for every human being. This is a principle that we're all supposed to practice for everyone. When you receive an increase, the first portion is God's. Okay, so what, I, what I, I like is I read a lot about, you know, how to communicate to different generations. And there's a lot written right now about how to communicate to millennials. And I love millennials. I'm like almost one of you, and I can relate to you. Um, and, and what it says is for millennials, you know, they like authentic transparency. I'm like, I'm your guy, millennials. Like, I love authentic transparency. I love keeping it real. And But really, this is, this is true for all of us because everybody likes transparency. Everybody wants authentic. Um, so, so I want to be transparent and I want to be authentic. Part of what happens is when we tithe to God through our local church, that money goes to doing ministry in our church and we get to be a part of what God is doing. So when you see someone like getting baptized or, or getting saved or a marriage being healed and you're a giver, you get to be like, oh, I'm a part of this, right? But I also like transparency because it builds trust. And if you look in your bulletin, there's a breakdown of where all the church's money goes. For 2016, it shows you where all the dollars flow out, the different categories of spending that we have. Because it's just better to be open about it. There's nothing to hide. It's an open book. It's also on the app that we have if you want to check it out later. So I love transparency. I love being authentic, you know. And so let me just keep being transparent and authentic. God says in this amazing chapter of the Bible, Malachi chapter 3, he says, when you withhold the tithe, you're robbing me. God's just keeping it really authentic for us, okay? Just very transparent. He's saying, bring the tithe to me. Bring it to me. And, and then he says, if you don't, you're robbing me. Now, that's, that's tough. That's that's, that's like, man, maybe not so authentic, you know, like tone it down a little, God, because you're really making me feel bad right now. But God just wants to be authentic with us. And he tells us, that's my portion. So you need to bring it to me or else you're robbing me. And now that's, that's kind of scary, right? Like, because I remember reading that first passage we read that says, the fear of God is the foundation of knowledge. Knowledge of his holiness grants us understanding. So fear of God is actually kind of a good thing, you know? And so, like, for example, you know, when I was, I wasn't planning on telling this today, but I said it last service, so I'll say this service. Like, when I was a young kid, like, I stole stuff. <laughs> like, I'm just being real. I stole from, like, a convenience store, you know, like, some beef jerky, stole candy bars. Like, you know, I stole money out of my mom's purse sometimes. Not proud of it. I'm just being real. But you figure when you're a little sinful child like that, you think, well, if nobody finds out, all right. And then I hear, I, I read this passage. Now I, I grow up and become an adult. I start trying to be a Christian. And I read, 
if you withhold the tithe, you're robbing God. It's like, man, even if I'm kind of sinful here in my thinking, it's like God sees everything and he knows everything and I'm not going to get away with robbing him. So, yeah, maybe I got away with robbing Circle K, but I ain't going to get away with robbing God. So I got to get some things in order. It kind of scared me to think about, about robbing God. And, and I know some young people I, I heard one time saying, you know, I don't really like the idea of giving my tithe to the church. I want to give my tithe to someone in need personally. And I was like, oh, that's a great, talk. That's a great idea. Like, how often have you done that? Big, to- big talker. But secondly, I would say it's not your money to give. It's God's. Like, it's really nice if you don't want to be generous with someone else's money. <laughs> but it's God's money. And then God says we can give above and beyond our tithe. And it's what we usually call offerings. It's just voluntary giving. And he says you can do whatever you want with that. You can give it to somebody personally. You can give it to a specific ministry. It's up to you. But that first 10%, it's God's portion. And so if I don't give that to him, the Bible says I'm robbing him. So I'm just keeping it real. I just like, I just like being authentic. <laughs> so when you get paid, that means the first 10% is God's. You get $100, it's 10% to God. You get $1,000, it's $100 to God. And listen, it's better to start now because a lot of people make the mistake in thinking, like, it'll get easier when I make more money someday, but it doesn't. It doesn't, trust me. If you have a hard time tithing on $100, it's not going to be easier to tithe on $10,000. But, you know, I just read this awesome article on Bleacher Report about Derek Carr, the quarterback of the Raiders, right? He just talked about how he got this huge contract, and they asked him, what are you going to do first? And he said, I'm going to go to church and pay my tithe to God. I was like, dang, son, millions of dollars. But see, he learned when he was young. Do you think if he hadn't learned when he was young, it would have been easier now? No. And God says, when you do this, I'll bless you. That's what's so amazing about our God. He's merciful and he's gentle with us. So even though he tells it like it is and he says, you're robbing me if you don't give it. But he says, he doesn't say, if you don't, I'm going to punish you. He doesn't say that. But he does say, if you trust me, I'll bless you. And he promises to bless us. So he's merciful and he promises to bless us when we trust him. Now listen, I'm going to read to you from Deuteronomy 14, 23, because this sums it up so good. It says, the purpose of tithing, this is God speaking, is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. This is powerful, powerful spiritual wisdom. It's not teaching you to put God first in just your finances, but your whole life. Because when you put him first in your finances, which is one of the toughest things to do, you'll find that he just starts to come first everywhere else. That's why Jesus said where your treasure is, your heart is also. You put him first in your finances, he becomes first in everything. So put God first if you want the rest to be blessed. Here's the second jewel of financial wisdom. Save for the future. You want to save for the future. CNN says that about half of Americans have less than $500 in savings. So that creates a lot of stress and anxiety. The inability to handle even a small crisis from savings. And so what most people do is they say if they have an unforeseen crisis, they would handle it with a credit card which is stressful because then you a lot of times end up paying interest a, a lot on a credit card. Or a lot of people say, I would call my family and friends and ask for help, which is why they don't answer your phone calls. But what's better 
is to save. And I'm just trying to be really practical with this wisdom today and, and cover all aspects of this that will help you in your finances. The truth is that too many people choose not to save. And maybe it's because they just, they're careless or they think, well, someday, you know, the government will help me with Social Security. I wouldn't count on that. Or, or they just think, you know, I'll do it later when I have more. I'll save later. But it's not easy or later. It's good to start now. And, and we read in Proverbs 6, uh, verse 6, more wisdom about saving. It says, take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. I love, it's talking trash again. I love it. It says, learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer gathering food for the winter. In other words, they save for the future. They just naturally do it. And that's what we all need to do. We will sleep better at night if we save. Amen? So the pattern is I, I give my first 10% to God and then I put aside hopefully 10% or more for savings. The Bible doesn't say exactly how much you need to save, but I would make it a goal, uh, recommend just to shoot for at least 10%, try to get there. And, and we see other examples of this in scripture. It says in 1 Corinthians 16 too, on the first day of each week, you should, put, uh, you should each put aside a portion of the money you've earned. Don't wait until I get there and try to collect it all at once. And, and so this is a good principle that would apply to our lives today as well. Save little by little, little on a regular basis. Don't wait till you need to come up with a large amount and then try to get it all at once. It creates a lot of anxiety and stress in your life. Just to, We want to plan ahead. And I, I won't have this verse on the screen, but Proverbs 13, 11 says, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gains little by little will increase it. So this is more wisdom from Scripture, right? It's not that we want to try to get rich quick. We don't, we're not trying to, like, hit the lotto to solve our problems, but regular, steady saving. The Bible says will increase your wealth. And God cares enough about your everyday life to care about your financial health. Isn't that amazing that he loves you that much? He's not just talking about like lofty spiritual ideas, but he's trying to help you in one of the areas that we all think about a lot, our finances. So I recommend trying to, to make this a regular practice in your life. Like I like to automate my giving to God. So I set it up to like just automatically come out after each paycheck because I'm forgetful and I don't like to forget things like that that are especially that important. But then I also like to automate saving. And I would recommend trying to do this. Automatically give to God, automatically set money aside for saving for the future. You can have money taken out of your check and go right into your savings account so you don't have to, to struggle with it. And if you'll start now, you'd be surprised at how quickly it will add up. So even if you haven't been living this way, you'd be surprised how much of an impact you can make with just a little bit of time. Let me just give you a little example, okay, just to wrap your mind around this. Let's say you make just round numbers in your household, like $50,000 a year. But let's say you want to try to put these principles into place and you haven't been living this way. In just 20 years, if you were to give God the first 10%, you would have contributed $100,000 to the cause of Christ. That's a lot, right? That's a huge impact you're making. And then you would have saved at least $100,000. But then if you learn about the power of compound interest, hold on, people, right? And you just got a, a, a measly 6% return on your investment by, by investing that money, your $100,000 of savings would double to $200,000 in that same 20 years. So imagine if you put these principles into practice in your life. I was showing my little brother a retirement calculator this last week about how if you start saving now and investing, by the time you retire, that, that money will turn into millions of dollars. And he was like, how, how do I set up a savings account? Help me. I mean, it's amazing. And so this is what the Bible has taught us. Little by little, steady savings will increase your wealth. 
2 Corinthians 9, 7, it's an important verse that really applies to all of us when it comes to giving. And it says that each, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So you need to give only as God leads you in your heart and not under compulsion. So compulsion is someone forcing you to give. That's, that doesn't mean I'm not going to keep it real like I just did a second ago and tell you the truth, but no one's going to force you to give. Like Tito and Bruno aren't going to show up to your house and like knock on the door like, yo, where's your ties, right? And like I know that sounds crazy, but you got to understand historically there's been a lot of religious groups that have done just that. And so the Bible saying uh, God doesn't want that. He doesn't want you to be forced to give. He wants you to want to out of your heart, and that's how you should. And he wants us to be cheerful givers. But listen, it's a lot easier to be a cheerful giver when you're already a diligent saver. It's a lot easier. It's just truthfully more easy to be cheerful about it. Now, some people would say, I can't afford to save. I can't afford to. And I just want to give you some practical just insight right now, if maybe you've never thought about this. But uh, if you think, I can't afford to save, I would say maybe you can, and you just don't realize it. Like, for example, I read that 83% of Americans get a refund on their taxes. 83% get a refund on their taxes. And the average refund is $2,860. What does that mean? That means that the average American voluntarily overpays their taxes on each paycheck, right? And so what that really is, just, you know, financially is you're lending the government your money for free, for no interest. But you also have shown yourself that you can live on less than what you earn. And then you get that money back. So one, I would say practical advice, um, don't have too much withheld from your paycheck. You don't want to just be getting this huge refund back. That's your money that you earned. And if you get it each week or each other, every other week, you can use it for something beneficial like paying down debt or saving for the future or investing for the future, right? So don't go to your HR department like, I don't want as much taxes withheld. My goal is to pay like zero taxes and get zero taxes back when I do my taxes. That's what you want to do. But also just think about it. I want to take that money which was set aside for the government. I'd rather set it aside for myself and put it in my savings account. Okay? So you want to save for the future? Just trying to give you some practical things this week. Now here's the third jewel of financial wisdom. And this one seems kind of common sense. It's live on less than you earn. Live on less than you earn. I know that just seems like common logic, but again, research shows that more than half, about 60% of Americans, they spend everything they earn or more than they earn. In other words, they're, they're, they're living on credit and buying stuff they can't even afford. Now, there's different reasons people do this. Sometimes it's just because a person hasn't been educated. They don't really know how to handle their money the right way. But sometimes it's a lack of self-control. I don't have a budget, frivolous spending, too expensive of a car, eating out too much. But sometimes it's also materialism. And just, well, I get a shopper's high when I get new stuff. Have you ever gotten a runner's high from running? Me neither. Um, <laughs> But the shopper's high is way better, right? You buy something new and exciting. It's like, oh, this is so cool. It, it can be really fun. Or maybe you're trying to keep up with the Joneses, you know? Or maybe it's just simple, like, man, I saw it. I wanted it. I had to have it. Just put it on the credit card. 
But this is something that the scriptures speak to as well. 1 John 2.16 says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Another way of saying this, another translation says, The craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions, comes not from the Father, but from the world. So it says the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. This word lust, when we speak about it in English, we usually think of sexual lust. But it's not just sexual lust. The word lust comes from the Greek word epithumia. Just, tell your, just say it with me right now. Epithumia. Great job. You're speaking Greek this morning. That's great. You're a very productive day already for you. Epithumia, it's, it's over desire. That's what it is. It's not wrong to desire but what we're warned about is lusting, which is over-desiring. So God designs you to desire sex, but it's lust to over-desire sex from places that you're not supposed to get it. It's not wrong to desire to have nice things, but over-desire for nice things, or over-desire for food, or even over-desire for your children, codependent parents. That's a problem. And so we got to be, be careful that we're not over-desiring stuff and just trying to satisfy our craving for, for physical things. You know, it looks cool. It looks shiny. i got to have it. We want to practice self-control, and God teaches us self-control. And one of the ways that he teaches us self-control is through tithing. I put God first, and that means I'm submitting my finances to God. When I submit my finances to God, what happens is I automatically have submitted my heart to God. When I submit my heart to God, now the Holy Spirit will come in and he'll start to cultivate my heart. And as he cultivates my heart, fruit grows. The fruit of the Spirit grows in my heart. The love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control is the fruit of the Spirit happens in my heart. And I think it starts with the attitude of submission in our finances. And so once you've gain self-control and, and you, you give God his first 10% and then you hopefully save about 10% or more. And then, then once you've done that, the good news, the, good news the, the fun thing is that then you get to enjoy the rest and you get to enjoy what's left guilt-free. Isn't that good? Because I know a lot of times you can, you can struggle where you're like, man, I should be, I should be giving something. You know, I should be saving something for the future. I shouldn't be eating this right now. If you're like me, you know you're a saver. But, but when you do it in the right order, then you get to enjoy what's left. And God actually wants you to enjoy what he gives you. This is good. This is good news for some of you because some of you are savers. Where are my savers at? Okay, be proud of it. I love savers. I love you, savers. But like, but like when, when savers get crazy, they sometimes turn into like poverty-minded people where they kind of feel like, well, I'll never have enough. Oh, we can't afford this. Oh, I shouldn't be having this. Or like they do something nice. They go on a nice trip. They get a nice car. Like, oh, I got it on sale. I got it on sale, right? Like they're so guilty all the time about having anything good. You people know what I'm talking about, right? You know people like this. But God says, like, enjoy what he's given you. And actually Solomon, the same guy that wrote Proverbs, says in Ecclesiastes 5.19, and it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. That means you don't got to be guilty. 
When you enjoy good things that God has given you. When you handle your money following the biblical godly wisdom, the kingdom of God principles, you can enjoy the good things that he's given you. So seek first the kingdom of God. That's putting God first with that tithe in. Then save for the future. Try to save, you know, 10%. And then enjoy the rest which God has given you and say thank you, God, for these blessings and enjoy it guilt-free. And listen, it's not too late. It's not too late to correct these patterns in your life if you've been handling money incorrectly. And I would say if you're here and, you've, and you'd say, I have not been doing this. I've, I've been putting myself first and then I, then I think about the future and maybe sometimes I think about God. Listen, if you identify that today, it's actually God who's helping you see that truth. He's showing you the truth so that you can respond to that. And I would encourage you, if you have not been living this way with your finances, to make it your goal to violently correct this pattern of living and follow biblical wisdom. Solomon, he warns us, don't ignore wisdom. Don't ignore wisdom. So today we've covered some basics of biblical wisdom. And I would say, don't ignore wisdom. He actually wrote in the first chapter of Proverbs, he said in verse 30 and 31, He's speaking a warning to us, and he says, They rejected my advice and paid no attention when I corrected them. Therefore, they must eat the bitter fruit of living their own way, choking on their own schemes. You can ignore God's biblical wisdom, but you're going to be eating bitter fruit. You can eat bitter fruit. It's just nasty. Right? You can try to do it your own way, but the Bible says choking on your own schemes, whether it's a get-rich-quick scheme or it's just a scheme to elevate yourself. The Bible says you put God first and he'll elevate you. He'll bless you. It's kind of counterintuitive, but it's true. And I would think about this. I would think again about how, for me, as a Christian, when I was a young man, it was the fear of the Lord, which the proverb says is the beginning of wisdom that helped me start on this path. And, and so it's not to scare you into trying to do the right thing, but it is acknowledging that, man, this is God's and I don't want to rob God. And so for some of you, that's a truth that maybe you need to, to just kind of soak in this week and chew on, that, that maybe God wants to help you by showing you the hard truth and saying, man, this is, this is mine. But the Bible tells us and encourages us that the fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom and the knowledge of him, the Holy One, it, it leads us to good judgment. So maybe this week you hear this awkward truth and it's challenging and you feel uncomfortable, but I would just say ask God to work on your heart and to show you the truth and to lead you into his best plan for your life. And he will. He'll help you get there. And it's not going to happen all at once. It doesn't always happen easily. But this applies to all areas of our life. When we open our heart to receiving what God has for us, he shows us the better way. That's what he does. He leads us into a better way. I love that, that concept. I know it's difficult, but it's the fear of the, of the Lord that is the beginning of wisdom. And this even applies to our lives. And, and some of us, when we were distant from God, before we, before we honored him with our lives, we were far from him. And it was the fear of God for some of us that was the beginning of wisdom, wasn't it? It was hearing like, oh, I have sin in my life. I've done, I've done bad things. And I heard the, the truth that the Bible says that, that God punishes sin and that my sin is gonna lead me to destruction. And so 
so you heard that, and it's scary, right? Like, I feared God's judgment, and that was part of what caused me to turn and say, like, well, I want to be right with God. I want to be forgiven. How can I do that? It was the beginning of wisdom. For some of you, that was the first wise choice you ever made in your life was turning from sin towards God, right? And that's what led you to go, okay, well, well, what does God require of me? And you heard the gospel, which says that God wants you to believe in Jesus and turn from your sins. And it's when you put your trust in him and pledge your loyalty to him, the Bible says you're saved by God's grace, not because you earned it and you can be right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. I think that's just such good news that God always offers us grace and mercy. No matter how hard of a truth we had to face, he comes with his love and shows us better plans for our lives.